Hello again, and welcome to episode four. So today's episode is with a very good friend of mine and colleague, Claire, from the Natural Clinic. It's all about fertility, and I've broken this down into two episodes. The first is all about hormones, AMH, FSH, and just a great chat that we have. Well, I actually think I did most of the talking, but Claire is just this amazing nutritionist. So let's begin the episode. Hello and welcome. Uh, so my name is Claire O'Brien and I'm a nutritional therapist at the Natural Clinic. And today I am joined by my colleague Gordon, who is a fertility acupuncture specialist. And he's going to tell you all about himself um, much better than I can. So hi there. Yes, it's uh, Gordon. And um, yeah, I've been a fertility acupuncturist for 16, 17 years now when fertility acupuncture didn't exist. Actually, even I think IVF and Cork wasn't even going at the time maybe 17 years ago. Yeah, I'm still here. Very good. And um, in the natural clinic, how many days a week at this stage? Wonderfully, I have an amazing opportunity to be in clinic two days a week. I've changed from a seven days a week, 24 hours a day, pre-pandemic down to a a nice two days a week. And uh, yeah, it's um, good. You know, Um, we've gone from a very quantitative getting as many people in and helping as many people to just uh, slowing down a bit and yeah the, the results are pretty amazing as well because you just get time to spend time with people you know so yeah it's nice to be back as a therapist and I know that you're um you're helping people in other ways as well so we might have a chat about that in a little while and um, so I suppose today we wanted to get the benefit of your experience and ask some of the basic questions and mm-hmm. um, so you know, for anybody who's trying to conceive or on their fertility journey at different stages, let's like just quickly have a chat about the fertility window and when conception can occur and when's the optimum time for that to happen. So that's probably one of the most important questions and the most, the question that's asked the most actually, when is, when is the most important time? And I think we have this assumption that it's day 14 and it's a good assumption 70% of the time you need to kind of more look at your own fertile window, your own cycle. So for example, if you're 28 days, it's not necessarily guaranteed that you're ovulating day 14. You could have a long pre-ovulation phase. So you could be day 16, day 18, and then a shortened luteal phase. So it's, it's really important to kind of learn about your body and learn from kind of different things that are telling that you're ovulating. So usually it's a four day window. Everyone freaks out about these 10 second launch that they have to get at the egg within 10 seconds of ovulation. And that's not true. So you, you have four days. The sperm tends to, I won't say loiter, hang around for three to four days and the egg can survive for up to 18 hours. So within any of that time frame is, is really good. So if we pick the standard 80, 70% chance that you're a 28 day cycle, ovulating day 14, your fertile window would be day 12 to day 16. If you're ovulating day 32, there's a 70, 80% chance that it's day 16 to day 22. So I kind of look at your cycle and kind of work backwards and then go two days before ovulation, two days afterwards. Try not to overthink it from there. Brilliant. Thank you. And I know um, I was reading recently that about 13% of women have a 28 day cycle. Uh, so it's not very common. Um, so it's a really good tip to be um, following that. Is there any recommendation that you have for apps or ways of telling when you're ovulating? Yeah. So when your partner's looking very attractive and handsome, you're ovulating. And when he's looking like an ogre, you're not <laughs> ovulating. <laughs> um, honestly, like it, it, it's the weirdest thing, like apps, like I, I've had people who've said my apps that I'm ovulating day 14 
and we're trying and they're actually ovulating day 18. Like apps are only taking a certain amount of information from you. So for example, an app would take a 28 day cycle, tell you're ovulating day 14 on assumptions based on algorithms. But if you actually did, for example, like an OPK once, you'd say, oh, hold on, I'm ovulating day 18. So somebody might be trying day 13, 14, 15, 16, and not even think that they're ovulating on day 18. So there's a couple of things you can do. For those that love Excel and for those that love figures and numbers, uh, a body basal temperature chart is something you can do. Now, it provides a lot of data, a lot of information, and is very, very useful. It's not just the, the biphasic temperature changes. There's so much you can see with, uh, with temperature rises and drops early on. And there's so much that you can see uh, after ovulation of temperatures rising and dropping. But you really have to be OCD with the temperatures. Like you have to get up at the exact time. You can't go to the, the, the loo. You can't have a glass of water. You take your temp exact same time, seven days a week for usually about three months. But yeah, really, really good information from that. The counter aspect is it's taking away from your fertility, that it becomes a very uh, processed approach, which then is not great either. Ovulation predictor kits, I would suggest 80% accurate in that they'll say you're ovulating within the next 24 hours, but then you'll have people who it says they're not ovulating and they have, and you can check that through uh, your progesterone test. So by going to your GP seven days after when you think you've ovulated, get your progesterone checked. If it's zero, to five, you haven't ovulated. If it's 40 plus, you have a super ovulation cycle. Um, and I know myself, like I have talked to you before about Dutch testing um, mm. and I've used that cycle mapping um, yeah. test with, with Dutch as well, where you can do um, a urine test every day from day one of your first, like your period one to day one of your next period. And yes. it tracks your estrogen progesterone and um, the whole way through the cycle and it tells you if you're ovulating when you're ovulating and all those kind of things but those two I suppose markers are only two of the markers that you look at in terms of fertility and I know that there is some other markers that people come into you and they're worried about things like their AMH um, or other readings or they're not you know sure what FSH is or LH is and they have all these reports so could yeah. you explain some of those terminology? So the, the basic ones you're going to get when you're trying for 12 to 18 months is initially the basic test of doing a day three, which is your FSH, and then seven days after ovulation, which is your uh, progesterone. And then they'll throw an AMH in the middle as well. So basically FSH is kind of telling us how well your ovaries are responding to this hormone, physical stimulating hormone. And it's just literally a hormone that's telling your ovaries we want you to release an egg. We want you to release an egg. We want you to release an egg. An egg is released. So anything under 10 is, is pretty good. Sometimes that FSH is knocking on the door a little bit more saying, we want you to ovulate. We want you to ovulate. We want you. And then you get to 12 and 13. People really freak out about this very, very quickly. And it's an important marker, but it'd be really important to go back the following month and just see how the other ovary is doing. Because you need to look at your ovaries like a left and right hand. Like I'm right-handed, but I eat like a left-handed person. So maybe your left ovary is not as strong as your right ovary or not functioning as well. So you could have be trying for your second baby or your third baby, and then suddenly you get a surge in your FSH results and you're freaking out. You're going up to an IVF clinic and it, it just changes everything. You know, best thing is pause, get another FSH done, see how that's going. If it's still elevated, then definitely AMH is important. And again, AMH is a indicator. It's a good indicator. But you have to remember, once you're ovulating, once you're menstruating, AMH is not about egg quality. 
Uh, it's not about ovarian reserve. It's based on what we call follicular recruitment, which is that 90 days that your eggs are released. You could have two people where one lady has an AMH of 20 and the other lady has an AMH of four. Now, immediately the person at four is freaking out. So that's one marker. Now, the lady with an AMH of 20 is, let's say, 42, and the a lady with an AMH of four is 18. The lady with an AMH of 20 has no partner. The lady with an AMH of four has a partner. So it's, you have to be very careful. It's all about the combinations of the numbers. And recently, you will now see a lot of IVF clinics and fertility clinics saying that, oh, your AMH is low, but when we actually did a scan, there's loads of eggs there. And this is happening 50% of the time. So you're getting this situation where people are getting very stressed, very freaked out, racing to a clinic, and it's causing a lot of anxiety. Like I have a, a case there two years ago where I had three low AMHs come in within a week and all were told that they had to do IVF. And we're on the floor, literally on the floor. This was in October. And by December, all three were pregnant naturally. Wow. They were ovulating, they were menstruating, you know. Yeah. Sperm was getting to egg, eggs were being released, but it was the recruitment side of things. There's no indication of quality with AMH and anyone that says quality and AMH linked, show me the study. I'd be really excited to see that and read that. But they could have so easily gone down the route of they IVF. Were planning. They, were, they, were stand, they were starting in January. The three of them were starting IVF in January. And like for me, a big part of it was to, you know, get them back and say, come back. Hold on. You're at the cliff here. January, Absolutely. You know, everything we do now is about preparing for the IVF, but you still need to start trying and, you know, having fun and not trying and just, you know, it was a huge, it was huge. Like they were all three within a week and all three pregnant by December. So I suppose it'd be good to do a little recap of when to test and what to test for, if you don't mind. Like, so mm -hmm. is there like certain windows you were saying there about day three and about, you know, the week after ovulation for different things. So if you could maybe do a quick. Yeah. Recap. So, yeah. So FSH has to be done on day three. I've had people coming in having their FSH done on day five because their day three was Saturday. They were or Sunday. They were busy Monday and they went in at day five. Going in at day five for an FSH or day one for an FSH is like going into a maths exam on a Friday when it's actually French. You know, you've gone into the wrong exam. You know, they're, they're all speaking French. It really is important to get these dates right. If you don't know when you're ovulating and you can't track it, then it's usually good to go in at day 18, maybe day 21 and day 24, and then see where the middle line is on that. You can ovulate day 14. The OPK says that you're not ovulating. You go in seven days later. You have progesterone of 60. You have a super amount of ovulation going on there. You are loads of progesterone. Everything's looking good. And then AMH can be done, um, from my understanding, at any time. Uh, again, these are markers in time. They're, they don't define your whole fertility. You know, elevated FSH, FSH of 18, AMH of 1, get pregnant within four months. No, we have to be careful. These are rare occasions that that happens. Yeah. But that route was donor egg as far as they were concerned. But again, FSH of 18 is quite intense. But it turned out the following month she had an AMH or FSH of 10. Okay. So her, her left ovary was showing for some, no, I'm not saying it was the left or the right, but when we went back the following month, the FSH had dropped. The problem with, and I shouldn't say a problem, the tagline is that your highest FSH is your normal FSH, which doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. That kind of says my lowest IQ is my lowest IQ. <laughs> and it and like with all those readings it changes from period to period so from changes from period to period month to month you like the reproductive system is so sensitive like you can 
hop on a plane, uh, travel three time zones, and you will skip two cycles. You can start swimming for three months and your periods will stop. You can run a marathon and your follicular cycle will pull out, push out by 10 days. The system is so sensitive to change, but that's in a wonderful way. Yeah. It's not a negative thing. So if it, it's sensitive to change one way, it can be sensitive to change the other way. That would be the holistic approach, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the medical approach might say, yeah, no, that's your highest, that's your highest. <laughs> Do IVF, here we go. And I'm a huge fan of IVF, don't get me wrong. I love working with IVF clinics and I think IVF is one of the most amazing things that has come out of uh, reproductive medicine. But, you know, you, you, you do need to do your due diligence. You do need to, and, and medical people are brilliant, but they take a medical view. You know, you go to an accountant and they're taking a figures number. You go to a solicitor, it's legal. You go to a medical doctor or it's medical. You go to an holistic therapist, a nutrition, an acupuncturist. We're looking at the whole body. We're not just looking at the AMH. We are looking at everything. Perfect. So there you go. This is part one. Jump back in next week for part two. And as always, if you do have any questions, do let us know on support at mindfulivf.com and we shall chat soon.